0: Wanted to remind those of you with little ones that we do have nursery. I think they're heading out here shortly. Miss Chris is taking them. Uh, what I forget the ages. Um, I always forget that. Three and under. So if you have a, a young person that's three or younger, um, we have some very wonderful ladies that would love to spend some time uh, with your kidlets for uh, a very short period of time. Uh, for the rest of you guys that are going to be here, I encourage you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be in a, a few different passages this morning, but uh, we're going to start off in the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Um, so if you want to uh, just begin our journey through Scripture on this wonderful topic, um, I'd uh, encourage you to open up to uh, the Gospel of according to Matthew, uh, chapter 6. You know, it's interesting. Um, this ought to be a really short uh, service and a very short message because I'm talking about a topic that nobody's really interested in doing anyway, so I figured I'm just going to give lip service to it, um, and uh, we'll, just, we'll, we'll be able to tell our friends and neighbors and everyone else that's less holy than us that, uh, that we had a sermon on fasting, and, um, and we listened diligently, we thought about it, and we rejected it, and we moved on. Um, and then we can just we just we're we're preaching the whole counsel of God. Nobody can say we're not. But you know we're just we're living life, right? And that's what we're gonna do. So for those of you that are interested in a quick sermon, um, you probably ought to go to a different church. So um, anyway, moving right along here. Um, as you can imagine, we are in the middle of a series called Habits. Um, that's the title of the series, and we're dealing with the regular habits of um, of our daily. And weekly, monthly, whatever our rhythms of life, the habits that we lay down in order so that we can um, we can enjoy truly the, mo- the most the fullest part of our of our Christian experience with God, our our life with the Lord. you know the thing is about these habits is i don 't want this to be thought that if you do everything that I've talked about in the last couple of weeks we talked about worship as a as a discipline we've talked about rest as a discipline we'll be talking about prayer we're going to be talking about a few other things as we move forward and this morning we're going to be talking about fasting but I don't want you to think that if you do these things that you're going to earn like a greater place in heaven that you're going to have a more special spot you know in the kingdom like he's going to have like the the VIP section in heaven roped off with the velvet ropes and you get to and, and, you know, Peter sees you when you walk in. He's like, oh, we have a space. You know, it's not like that. You know, we're not going to earn anything greater from God than what he's already given us, which is the love that he uh, was willing to die on the cross for us. There is no greater love that can be given to us than what Christ did on the cross. He loved us so mightily and so powerfully that he was willing to go to that length, to empty himself, to go to the cross, to take on our sin so that we can be called the children of the living. God. That was the love. What we're doing now is something different altogether. It's We're talking about developing re- regular patterns in our life so that we can put ourselves in the way of the transforming power of god so that when god is seeking to transform you and to change you and to grow you into this into this amazing and powerful servant that can be the most effective servant possible in the place that he plants you this is what we're talking about we're talking about using the all these different habits in our life to put us in the right place and so this morning, we're going to start off with every discussion that we should talk about when it comes to spiritual disciplines. We ought to look at what Jesus himself says. We're dealing with fasting, of course, and so I encourage you to look in um, uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to just look at three short verses, 16, 17, and of course, 18. So I'll read this to you really quickly, and then we'll, get, we'll move forward. It says, whenever you fast, just what Jesus is saying to the masses, he says, whenever you fast... Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that your fasting will be, will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in, who, who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know, this is the passage that he, that he lays out. It's just a beginning sort of discussion. Now, understand that Matthew 6 is really part of a larger sermon that's happening. Um, he starts off in chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And this discussion of fasting actually comes um, uh, sort of in the uh, in the discussion of how we show our love towards God. And it's part of this discussion that deals with um, spirituality, the whole overall spirituality and how to express it. Um, he's, he's already dealt with time. Tithing. He's talked about praying, and now he moves into fasting. And I notice that when you read this, it says, whenever you fast. Did you see that? It's like when you fast. He didn't say if you fast or if you decide that you want to you know, go down this wet road and you want to deprive yourself of all the wonderful tasty food that's available and not go to Golden Corral and enjoy the buffet. If, if you choose to do that, he didn't say that. He says when you fast. It's an expectation. It's not a command. It's not like Jesus is saying, you must fast. He's just taking it for granted that you will fast. And I, I've, I've spent some time this week really looking at this. And those of you that know me personally, you know that this is something that I, I engage in upon occasion. I try my hardest to, um, to follow this spiritual discipline um, because I think it's uh, an important part of our Christian walk to be able to do this. Um, and I know some people say that it's not for everybody and that there is a medical side to this. And I'm not going to going to talk about the medical side. I'm not a medical professional, at least not anymore. But I can say this, that not all fasting requires you to give up food. And not all fasting requires that you give up food for a long period of time. Sometimes just skipping a meal can be considered fasting. Sometimes giving up different things that hold a preeminent place in your life. Like, for instance, television or media or maybe um, possibly uh, giving up a favorite beverage. For me, it's uh, diet drinks. I love to drink diet sodas. Um, I know it's crazy. It's bad for me. I know the whole chemicals in there is not really good for me, but I enjoy the bubbliness of it. And I have a hard time giving it up. But sometimes fasting, just simply that, saying, I'm going to spend this week and I'm not going to do that. Um, So there is different ways that you can fast even within your medical constraints for those of you that are looking at um, uh, those concerns. And when we're talking about fasting, fast Fasting is a a deeply personal but yet very important part of our uh, walk with Christ. Now, while you're thinking about that, I want you to turn over to one of our main passages. And I want you to have that that sort of the the words of Jesus hanging in the back of your mind as we move over to the Old Testament, to the great prophet Isaiah. The great prophet Isaiah You know, when you want to pull the big guns out, Isaiah's the guy, right? He's the one that really is the one you want to look at. Um, So in Isaiah 58, he has a discussion about fasting. Um, The Lord is actually using him to speak to the children of Israel. And what he's saying is something that I think is important for all of us to understand, all of us to be mindful of. And uh, as we're going through this, because you don't want to fast for the wrong reasons and you don't want to fast the wrong way. Um, I have a definition for you guys. I came across this. Uh, I, I, I'd love to say that I wrote this, but I did not. Um, I have friend, a fellow pastor. I don't know him personally, but I've listened to several of his sermons, so I consider him sort of a friend. Um, he, has, uh, he gave this, this definition out, and I thought it was really good. He said, fasting is the spiritual exercise of preparing and sustaining our appetite for God. I like that. I like that a lot. Let me read that to you guys again. Fasting is the spiritual exercise of preparing and sustaining our appetite for God. Now, to put it Jesus' way, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Either one is a really good description of what fasting really should represent. So in Isaiah 58, we're going to read through this, then we're going to get deeper into this. So it says, Isaiah is, is, um, is, is in, a, in a moment where he's trying to listen to God, and God speaks to him. He says, cry loudly and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet, God says to Isaiah, and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. So he's being told right there in the beginning. Cry loudly. This is a wonderful phrase. In it's 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 a one word in Hebrew. It's it's qual geron. It says to cry from the throat. We're talking throw the head back and just shout as loud as you humanly can, so that the whole world might be able to hear what you have to say. He says, don't. Hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. In the ancient world, a trumpet was used for two things to either announce the forward marching of the army into battle or to raise the alarm and said the danger is on the way. In this case, in this scenario, God is saying, Your voice, as loud as it's going to be, is going to be a trumpet to the people, a warning cry to the people. And this is the warning. Listen to the warning. He says, verse 2. Um, he says, "Yet the, the, the house of Jacob, yet they seek me by day and by day, and delight to know my ways." That doesn't sound too bad, does it? That sounds like something we should all do. We should seek to delight Him, uh, delight in His in His knowledge and His ways, day by day. He says, "As a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinances of their God, they." They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. This is God's description of the state of Israel at that moment in time. It doesn't sound so bad. It sounds like it's exactly where every church should want to be. It's where we should want to be. We should be in that place where we enjoy the nearness of God, that we seek after his ways, that we are following his ordinances and not forsaking his will. This, is, this sounds like a really good thing. It's almost like, where's the alarm, God? Where is the concern? Look what he says. In verse 3, he now, God is now quoting through the prophet to the, uh, of what the people had said to him. Okay? He's quoting back the prayers of the people. He's saying, "Why? these are the people speaking. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, this is God uh, re- replying to them. Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive your all of your workers behold you fast for contention and strife and strike with a wicked fist you do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high do you hear the rebuke the rebuke is you're fasting the wrong way guys They're crying out. They're saying, God, we're fasting and you're not listening to us. God, we're doing all these things. We're humbling ourselves. We're sitting in ashes and sackcloth. And as a nation, we're doing what you want us to do, but you're not listening. What's actually being said here is actually a a danger that you can fall into. Remember I said earlier that sometimes we fall in this pattern that if we're doing these things that God has commanded us to do, like reading the word, like going to Sunday school, like helping the poor and the folks that need to be helped and, and fast. And praying and worshiping and doing all the different um, uh, habits that we talked about—that that God owes us something. Like he is, like he's up there. Like, like now, God is in our debt, and we could call those markers in like a friend that owes us money. You know, I, I just sit, I mean, think about it. You know, God, I fasted the last twenty-one days for you, and I don't have that Corvette in my parking lot, my, my driveway. Why not? You know, God, I, I, I have given to the church quite a bit of money, but yet I don't see my mortgage growing down any faster. God, I have done this for you and this for you, but I'm not seeing any 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 benefit in my bank account. I have not seen any benefit in my life. I'm no more happier than I was before I started this. That's what they're saying. But look at what they're doing when they fast. They said, when you fast and you're all up in your fast, this is verse 3, he says, Behold, in the day of your fast." You find your desire, you get what you want out of it, but in the midst of all that, you're driving your workers harder. And look what it says, behold, you fast for contention and strife, and strike with a wicked fist. What kind of fasting is that? You know, the other day I had a reality check slapped in me, Uh, and Casey would be the first one to tell you, I can be a bit grumpy when I'm fasting, and I didn't realize it. You know, I didn't realize, I, 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 well, maybe I do realize a little bit, but I, I, I sub, sublimate that. I push it back so I pretend that I'm not, you know, because I'm being holy, right? I'm doing what I want to do because I want to serve my God, and I know he loves me fasting. And so I just, I want to fast. And I went in there, and cases like, you know, you're really grumpy today. Are you fasting? And I'm like, oh, really? Is that apparent? Um, gee, maybe I should rethink this, right? Maybe I should re-understand or re-figure out what I'm doing in my fast because if my fasting is, is such a way that I'm actually driving my workers too hard or I'm using this as a, as a, as a platform for strife and, disc- and, and discord around me, then I'm not really doing what God has called me to do. Let's go back to what Jesus said. Jesus said the hypocrites do, right? The hypocrites, they make their face even worse than it really is so that people can say, Oh, are you fasting? And, and they say, and, and they look all, you know, oh, weak and horrible and grumbling and da 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 da. So that Jesus, or so that if the people can say, What are you doing? Are you fasting? And Jesus said, well, that's their reward, right? That's what they get. So when you look back in verse 3 with Isaiah saying, they got their desire, right? Their desire was to be seen by men that they were fasting, to make people think that they're more pious than they are. But, you know, we can do, we, as Christians, we're pretty good at this, right? We're good at proving how pious we are. And we slip it in so subtly. You ever notice that? Like, you're in a conversation with your friends, and, and all of a sudden you just say, well, oh, that reminds me of my devotion that I had this morning while I was in prayer to God for an hour and a half. Yes, Let me tell you the wisdom that God gave me this morning, right? Or we talk about uh, the other types of spiritual disciplines that we engage in just so that we can maybe have somebody around us say, oh, you really are fantastic. You are the super Christian. Man, I want to be like you. Well, God says, that's your reward. But that's not the way we're supposed to fast. You know, it looks what he says here in the last part of verse 4. It says, you do not fast like you do today, to make your voice heard on high. That's the goal, right? We want God to hear our cry, but we want Him to hear it for the right reasons. And this is what He says in verse 5. He's moving into the reasoning behind this. He says, It is a fast like this which I choose. This is God speaking. A day for a man to humble himself. Is it for bowing one's head like a reed or for spending, spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? You will call this a fast, even acceptable to the Lord. He's asking them this question, right? Is this not the fast which I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go, go free, to break every yoke? This is the fast he's seeking. He says, is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless Pour into the house, and when you see the naked man, you cover him, and not to hide yourself from from your own flesh. Then you will light. Then light will break out like a dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. This is the fasting that He's really talking about. We're fasting in such a way that we're able to truly impact the world around us. You, know, you can say what you want about the political scene the way it is, and I know we've got people all over the map in this building. Some of us are independents, some of us are Democrats, some of us are Republicans. We all have our, our own particular vantage points. But the one thing that I have not seen in any party is a realistic plan to help people that are really in need. We just don't do it. We talk about it, we throw money at it, we, we make plans, we make this, we make that. truth of the matter is the church has stepped back from this. It's sad that we've got a group like Love Inc. that's so far, that's so close to us that's actually meeting the need. But I can't tell, count the number of times that I've gone to Love Inc. and brought somebody in need. And they've turned to me and they said, Pastor, I, we just don't have the money to help them. You know what, that's, the, that's the saddest thing in the world when people turn to the church for help. And the church says, I am broke. I have no money to help you. That's a horrible place to be. And I think that's what we're seeing now and now, time and time again. And so it's only natural the government steps up. But I tell you, the government can't do what the church can do. Amen. That's right. The government doesn't have God backing it like we do. We have the power of the living God. We have the discernment of the Holy Spirit within us. We know when people truly are in need, and we have to be sensitive when he tells us to go and to share and to give and to love. This is what he's saying. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry to bring the homeless poor into the house to clothe the naked and this is the promise when we do these things, the light will break out like the dawn. I love that word. this word in, in Hebrew is is Ibaka no it's not a not a wookie from star wars it's an actual it's an actual Hebrew word it means to Burst forth to split asunder, to cleave open, to hatch in a, in a forceful way, to, to literally force a breach in. We're talking about the light of God in your soul, forcing a breach in everything it is, pushing out forward from you to give others the light and life of God through you into their lives. Is that not a tremendous opportunity to share the gospel to people that need it? He says your recovery recovery will will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. He says, I, everything's going to be there. You're going to be right in the middle of my will. You're going to be like a force moving forward. I will be in front of you, breaking, the, breaking the, 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 the tension as you move through, and I'll be behind you to protect you in the rear guard. Every place you go when you're doing this is going to be right in the middle of my will, and it's going to be a pocket of peace in the midst of turmoil. Because when you call, the Lord will answer. He says you will cry and he will say here I am if you remove the yoke from your midst and pointing the finger and speaking wickedness if you give yourselves to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted when your light will rise then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will become like the midday and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in the scorched places and give, you, give strength to your bones and will be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And here's verse 12, beautiful picture. He says, those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will rise up this age old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets within the walls. This is a powerful imagery, all laid out in the context of this fasting motif. The idea that when we fast, we're not fasting because we want to separate ourselves from, from, uh, from food for a time. We're, we're fasting we are to by saying, we're going to take this moment to identify with others that don't have as much. We're going to take this moment to identify with where Jesus was in the wilderness. Take this moment of of self-reflection and say, instead of giving in to the hunger in my body, I'm going to give in to the will of God and do what he says to do. Instead of, when you fast, if you're going to skip a meal and say, you know, I'm just going to fast at lunchtime, instead of just simply sitting there and fasting in your office or in your home or something like that, maybe take the money you would have spent for that and maybe give it to Loving or give it to ABC Crisis Pregnancy Center or one of these other places that is in desperate need of that, uh, of that thing or maybe, maybe just possibly, you know, you pray that God will put somebody in your path that's hungry, that needs the food more than you and maybe you give them your meal for the day wouldn't that be something interesting now if we made that a spiritual discipline a regular part of our life imagine if everybody in this room there's like 50, 60 people in this room right now imagine if every single human being in this room said I'm just going to give up my lunch one day this week and, and, and ask God to put somebody in my path that needs it more than me and you were able to do that can you imagine the kind of impact you would make in this community in one day of just simply saying, I'm going to give up a lunch, let alone something more. You know, fasting is more than just simply saying, I'm not going to eat for a period of time. It's actually, we've got it topsy-turvy, we've got it backwards. God is trying to set us up for something so much better. You see, in life, we have theologies about everything, Right? We have the things that we believe. We sang that song this morning, We Believe. I love that song. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. I love these anthems, you know, that's part of our, our culture, of what we believe, what we, what we say that, we, that we, we put ourselves to. But there's a lot of other things that we don't put in glorifying song, at least not in Christian songs, you know, things that we glorify like, we like food. You know, we like movies, we like nice cars, we like clothes, we like shoes occasionally, especially in the winter when we get those boots. I was in Costco the other day, and I noticed that they had these really tough, amazing, you know, winter boots. I don't really own a pair, but they're like $89 for a pair of boots. I've never spent that much money on a pair of boots in my life. But still, you know, we, we have these things that we create a theology around, that we, that we pretend we like, that we, we move towards, that we, that we gravitate towards. And, you know, food is no different. And I think that when we start looking at these theologies of food, we need to have a better perspective of what the food really represents because there's nothing in our life, nothing in our life that has a greater sway in what we do every single day than what we eat and our need to eat. I mean, you try to go without food for a few hours and see what your belly says to you. You know, and some of us, we're slaves to that belly. I know I've been in the past. I still am now and then, more often than not, more often than I like. But you know we eat far too much in this in this in this culture of ours. We we ingest way we eat like kings. I was talking to somebody the other uh, this week about fasting. I mean, in preparation. For this when we were up in Anchorage, I just you know it's interesting. You meet random strangers and we're just talking about. And all of a sudden the word of God breaks out and we start talking about fasting. Um, the man was a Christian. He believed in fasting. Enjoyed it. and We had a really good conversation. But he brought something up that I had not even thought about, and that is that the the the, the poorest person in the United States that dines on mcdonald's and and taco bell and some of the foods that we know are just not good they're barely food but it's it's fatty it's rich it it's filled with with a lot of calories and it's just really dense but that food right there is better than some of the best food that the kings and queens of europe ate in the middle ages i mean think about that for a minute the average human being in the Middle Ages, they were happy with a loaf of bread or even a slice of bread with maybe some gravy. Um, you know, they, they didn't have meat. My mother tells me when she grew up in upstate New York um, in, her, in her childhood, she, they ate meat meat twice, twice a week if they were lucky, twice a week. They got it on Wednesday and they got it on Sunday. And it was usually in the form of soup because meat stretches further in soup, Right? And so it was kind of interesting how, she, how people laid it out. We, are, we take for granted, you know, I, I remember uh, growing up, you know, if we didn't have meat at every meal, we didn't have a meal. It was a snack, right? But that's so counter to what the rest of the world actually does on a regular basis. So when the Bible says that we should give ourselves to the hungry in verse 10, what God is trying to say is that when we are fasting, one of the things we're doing is we're letting people know that don't have a lot that we understand what they're going through because we're doing it too. Now, maybe we're doing it by choice, but it allows us the opportunity to identify with somebody. So when you see somebody that's hungry, it means more to you because you know what hunger is. See, the sad part is many of us don't really know what hunger is. We walk through our life just going through a sort of fullness, but we're never really fully satisfied. And when Jesus says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, it puts that in a different context. You know, and is that what we're doing with our spirituality here in church? Are we getting just full enough to to be okay, but we're not really fully satisfied in God? We're not really reaching into the depth of what God has for us? We're not really letting God burst forth and break out of us, so that we might be able to be His hands and feet in this community in a more effective way. You know, if we have a, a good theology of food, there's a lot of things we can do. I was reading this book this this week. I came across a book um, that another pastor recommended on this topic. It's written by a man named Robert Copan. He was a um, uh, Episcopal priest. He's passed away now. The name of the book is called The Marriage. No, not Marriage. The Supper of the Lamb. Okay, and it's supposed to be a cookbook. That's what he says. It's a cookbook, right? And I was thinking, well, this is a great book, right? I would love to read this on fasting. But the, the pastor recommended. He said this is the book you want to read uh, to prepare yourself for a message on fasting. So I opened it up. The first chapter, actually chapter two of the book. I'm in chapter two, and the chapter two is the entire. It, it, it's about cutting an onion. It's a cookbook, cutting an onion. And he says, now, to to do this recipe properly, you need to prepare to cut an onion. I said, okay, I can do it. He goes, block out an hour of your time. I don't know about you guys, but I've never taken an hour to cut an onion. But in the book, he says, it's the only way to really do it. And he says, the first thing you do is you take the onion, you take an onion board, you take a really sharp knife, you lay them all out in front of you, and you just look at the onion. Take about 20 minutes and just look at the onion. Examine its peculiarities. Look at its creation. Figure out your place and the onion's place at that moment in time. I know it's weird, isn't it? Tom's like, this is kind of crazy, isn't it? But he spends an entire chapter talking about the, the cutting of the onion, and that actually happens at the very end of the chapter. I mean, the whole part is like address the onion. Hello, onion, how are you doing today? I mean, it's a weird book, but he sort of lays out this. He says in his book he would, that he would rather have a meal created by a true lover of God a true lover of God, than any marginal meal or than any banquet prepared by somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Because a meal that's crafted by a true lover of God will enhance everything they do in such a way that when you're eating it, it, just, it causes the food to just blossom in your soul, right? And he brought up something else is that oftentimes when we start thinking about fasting, our first mind, our first thought goes to, what am I giving up? I'm giving up all the good food that I enjoy, right? I'm giving up all these things so that I can do what God wants me to do, and I can be a little humble and a little weak. And, and when my belly grumbles, I'll pray a little bit, and, and I'm focusing on the food, right? I'm focusing on what I'm giving up. but That's not what, the, what this, uh, this Anglican priest was encouraging. He said, hey, rather than giving up food, you ought to prepare for a feast, because the thing about fasting is, is we don't look at the other side of it. We don't look at what you do after the feast, after the fasting is over with. We should, we should, we should fast in preparation for the feast that God is going to lay in front of us. That's where our perspective should be. And I thought, man, that's pretty amazing. He gave another illustration in this book that I thought was really powerful. Now, man, I, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me a few times. Probably more often than I like to admit, my wife sitting in the back of the room. But imagine that your wife says to you in the morning, before you get up, or before, before you really get going for the day, before you even had your cup of coffee, she says, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm going to spend the rest of the day preparing this banquet for you, okay? And she says, I'm going to make this huge spread, so I just want you to be aware of it. And then the man's like, oh, that's nice, honey, as he grabs his cup of coffee. As he begins to pull out his his three-egg omelet with cheese and onions and a little side of bacon, three big cat's head whatever, biscuits and, you know, some gravy, you know, and, 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 put, and he just sort of chows down on that, drinking four or five cups of coffee, and then he goes to work, and, and they have this like work meeting going on at, at, a, at a lunch restaurant, and he just sort of says, well, I'll just, I'll just take a little bit, and then the little bit turns into an entire entree, and he just eats and stuffs himself, and then a little bit later, you know, he's, he knows he's going to be coming home a little uh, soon, but but he's getting that, that funny grumbling, you know, the hangry feeling, you know, and he doesn't want to be grumbly for his secretary, so, so he goes out and he goes to the gas station and he grabs a grabs a Snickers bar. And maybe, maybe not just a Snickers bar. Maybe he gets the, the Snickers bar plus one, you know? Like it's like 29 cents more and it's like three times the size. It's like it's like this long, you know? And, and chows down on that. And so he comes home and his wife has laid out this amazing banquet, you know? Like beef wellington covered with a beautiful sauce with, you know, some candied carrots on the side, some beautiful homemade rolls over here. You can see the, you can smell you can still smell the delicate scent of of cheesecake with with pumpkin pie in the background. You know that the, the dessert's going to be coming. There's even like a oh no, stop! <laughs> I know that. I'm sorry, brother, but but you get what I'm saying, right? You understand that this, yeah, I don't. You but you get that, you know. You're just like and, and but you go in there, but you think about this poor guy who just spent the entire day eating, right? the entire day eating, and he gets down, he sits down in this amazing banquet that his wife has spent literally eight and a half hours um, making, probably 30 hours preparing in her mind as she gets there, and she's got all this food laid out, and he's like, yeah, I'm not really that hungry. (laughs) Really? Yeah, (laughs) really? That is insane. Who would do that? We do it all the time. We pick and choose and dine what we want to dine, but we're not preparing for the feast that God has for us. We're not actually getting our soul ready. To, we're not really hungering and thirsting. We're sort of full, but we are, we are not satisfied. You know, we're coming near the end of this message, and I know some of you are saying, thank goodness I'm hungry, but <laughs> and I appreciate that, Eric. <laughs> we're getting close, we're getting close. But you know, when we get to the end of this, we start moving towards this. There's, there's a passage, I think, that, that isn't exactly about fasting. But if you choose to give up fasting, you know, I mean, give up food or, or take some moment, as you're moving towards, if you're moving towards the feast that God has for you, I would encourage you that rather than doing something crazy, rather than jumping around and, and letting people know you're fasting, is pull out the little insert that I put in the, bull, the, the, the bulletin here. And if everyone wants to do that, you can. If not, you can turn to uh, Psalms chapter 63. It's the same thing. And I would encourage you to pray this prayer. You know, S- read it out loud. Put it on your refrigerator. Give yourself one day a week that you're just going to give this time, one meal a week where you just give this time to God. And rather than eat, you just think about and, and, and read this prayer out loud to God. This is the psalm that David is writing while he's in the wilderness, while he's in that point of of desperation, when he's in that place where where he's longing for the, the sustenance of God. He is truly hungering and thirsting after God. This is where we should be. He says, oh God, you are my God, he says. I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus, I have seen you in the sanctuary, and I see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Here it is. My soul is satisfied with the marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. That marrow and fatness is not food. It's the Spirit of God. When was the last time that we moved from fasting into a place where we can say, I'm I'm, I'm dining on the marrow and fatness of you, God? The Scriptures tell us to, to taste and see that the Lord is good. The reason why we're using those imageries is because He wants us to have the thought and mindset that we are not fasting to give up food. We are fasting in preparation for the feast that God has for us. We're taking a moment to pause, to give thanks to what God has given us, and to say, God, when the feasting happens, I'm going to be right there with you. Look at the psalmist David says. He says, my soul is satisfied with the marrow and fatness, my, that my mouth offers praise and with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I will meditate you um, on you in the night watches. Have you ever had a really fantastic meal? The kind of meal that you just sit back and you're like, I need a nap, you know? And then you go and take one. It's like the worst thing to do. I mean, that's how you get really fat. And I just want you to know that. Is you eat a lot, then you sleep. But still, you know what I'm saying. You get that really, really good meal, and the only thing you can do is sit back in that easy chair, throw on some football, and just allow the, the lethargy just to sink in and to doze off in a gentle repose as you contemplate that wonderful meal you just had. When was the last time we got fat on God? You know? When was the last time we just said, I'm tasting and I'm seeing your goodness. I'm hungering and thirsting after your righteousness. I just want to be in your presence and your way. I want to feast on you, God. We're not doing that. But every good feast has a memory attached to it. And you can have that, that memory, that joyful memory on our bed in the evening as we meditate in the night watches of all that you've done for us, Lord. In verse 7, he says, For you have been my help, in the shadow of your wings I sit, I sing for joy. Just as the apostles in the in the in the in the bonds of jail itself lifted up praises to God, and he brought them forth safe. He says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go to the depths of the earth. My enemies will be, will be crushed, he's saying. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. And the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped up. You know, that is a powerful, powerful psalm. When you're struggling and you're needing a touch from God, that's the song. It's one of the Psalms you should go to. This is one you should mark out. You should, you should definitely mark in your Bibles and, 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 and let people know this is, this is where I am. Oh God, you are my God. But it becomes, in the discussion of fasting, as we choose to take a moment to pause, as we seek to desire the feast that he's going to prepare for us ahead of us. I've tried to fast numerous times. I've never actually fully fasted to 40 days. I think the most I ever got was 31 days, and that was hard. And so I know what it's like to go without food for a long period of time. My wife's in the midst of doing a, a, doing a liquid diet after her surgery, and, and she's finding this out. And I know I was talking with her, trying to give her encouragement. I said, one of the things that you miss after about a week or two without food, is, is not the taste of food. It's not the fullness in the belly. It's not, it's not, it's not any of that. It's, it's something simple. You miss the simple desire to chew something. To chew. So I know it seems silly. I mean, once you get past about a week or two, the hunger pains really aren't there that much anymore. I know you think that's kind of counterintuitive, but you really don't get as hungry anymore. But what you miss is the texture of the food as your mouth is chewing it up. It's the weirdest thing. But, you know, even in the midst of all that, if you don't have something on the other side of it to, to encourage you to move towards, it makes the fast kind of, uh You know? A lot of people like to have that big meal before they fast, right? The big giant meal, the last supper, if you will, before you have to fast. But I would encourage you not to do that. If you really are serious about fasting, don't put a date on it. Don't, put, don't say, I'm going to fast for a day, or I'm going to fast for two days, or I'm going to fast for a week. I would say fast as long as God wants you to, right? He'll tell you when to stop it. He'll tell you when to start it. But open yourself up to him. And when you feel you're ready, when you feel like God is there, I would encourage you to build up to it. You know, sometimes I hear the call for a fast from God. I say, and I hear him. He said, and I hear him. He said, I can actually hear the voice of God. And I know this is weird. I'm not trying to be kind of weird and, and not Baptist here. but But sometimes... You know, the Lord does speak to people, right, in an audible voice. And sometimes you can hear him. Sometimes it's just like you're sitting in the living room with him. And sometimes I can hear him. He says, it's coming that time. You need to prepare. That's what I hear from him. And I know what he's saying because this is a thing that I do with God. I enjoy the the time that I can fast. And he gives me a greater clarity as I move closer to him in this. And I can hear from him a little bit better when I'm not spending my time dwelling on food. And I know that when that time is coming that I'm not going to jump from a full three meals, four meals, eight meals a day that I normally do to eating nothing every day, right? I can't jump right into that because that's that's a recipe for disaster. I slowly taper off my food so by the time I enter the fast, I'm usually just eating once a day. I've gotten myself ready for it. I'm preparing for it. Just like when we prepare for a rest. Last week we talked about when you're going to rest, you want to prepare for it. You don't just jump right into it, today I'm resting, I'm not working. No, you prepare for it. You get things ready so that when your rest happens, it's truly restful. The same thing with fasting. When you prepare to fast, you find that your fast is so much more successful. And whether you're fasting for, for, a, for a lunch meal or a dinner meal, or whether you're fasting for a multiple-day project, I would encourage you to follow God's will in this. And I would encourage you to make God's word part of the fast. This is another thing that I see a lot of times people do, and I, is, is they'll say, I'm going to fast, but they just totally ignore the whole God aspect of it. I mean, they give lip service, you know, they listen to a sermon on, t- on the radio once or twice, maybe Moody's on and have a good sermon, and you listen to that, and maybe you might open your Bible once or twice during the course of the fast, but you really don't make it a part of it. I would encourage you that during your meal times, instead of stuffing food in your face, open up God's word and shove his food into our face, Right? that we get fat on him. We get fed by him. We allow him to truly give us that marrow and fatness that David talked about as we seek to draw closer to him. It's not easy to do. It is not easy to do, especially if you're the primary uh, cook in the family. You know, it's hard. It's hard. You want to try something really hard, Phil? Fast, and then cook a big meal for your wife that night, and you're not planning on eating it. It's hard. I... If you could do it, you're a better man than me. I can't. I struggle with it. The only way I get through it is I stay out of the kitchen, away from the kitchen. You know? But this is the thing is we prepare for what God has given us. You know, Why are we doing this? And I know we're talking a lot about these spiritual disciplines, and, and I know we have visitors here today. I know we have some people that may or may not know Jesus Christ, your Savior. The truth of the matter is that these disciplines we're saying is truly a Christian thing. If you are not a Christian, you can fast all day long until the cows come home, and you will not get anywhere in your walk, Really? You just get sickly and maybe a bit hungry. And at the end of it, you'll say, just like these other guys in in Isaiah, you'll say, why have we fasted you not heard, right? Because you're not really a Christian. You're not really a child of the king. The first century Christians, they fasted twice a week, twice a week. That was just what they did. That was the course of their walk. The early Jews in Jesus' day, they fasted twice a week. That's what they did. I think sometimes we need to prepare. But those of you that aren't a Christian, then this is going to be like a foreign concept to you. You're going to say, I don't understand it. Well, here's the thing, and this is the the best caveat I can do. This is the best segue we can do into this, and that is that if you're not a Christian and you don't don't really understand this whole idea of giving up food, I'm telling you that no spiritual discipline you're going to understand fully until you accept Christ as your Savior. It's only once we become a Christian that we begin to have the glimmer and the taste of what it means to truly want to have that hunger and thirst after righteousness. When God first called me into the ministry, um, I ignored him. I told him no. I walked away. I spent 12 years trying to convince God that he made a mistake. And, and God kept telling me, No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I am God, right? I created the universe. There is no mistakes, not even platypus. They're all planned. Everything is planned. And God said to me, I'm going to take you, and you're going to have to deal with it. And eventually, I could no longer say no to him. And he said, Now's the time. You need to come in. And it was at that point I realized, Oh my gosh, I can't not do this. And I remember diving into the word of God with a new intensity, a newfound new hunger that I'd never had before. And in three years, I was able to go through just an incredible amount of schooling and education and training. And and I just I, I every second of every minute of every day, I was in the Word. I was working at a hospital that was, um, it was kind of weird, I was, I was uh, on the floor, It was on a really hard floor, there's a lot of death, and it was an oncology floor, they dealt a lot with cancer, and, and so it was just really difficult to be on that floor, and so our nurses up there, we got extra breaks, we got extra opportunities to be able to, to get away from the floor, to take a few moments to breathe, because I know if they didn't do that, then they would often have a lot of turnover in the staff, and so they gave us a lot of extra breaks, and, and oftentimes took those breaks in the bathroom, and I would sit there in the bathroom, I didn't really have to go, but I just had to get off the floor for a few minutes and, and I'd sit there on the toilet and I'd have my Bible open in front of me and I'd be reading and I'd be studying and I'd be moving and it was a horrible image for you guys but there wasn't a single place that I went that I didn't carry my Bible I even took it into the bathroom Because I was hungry and thirsting after God so powerfully, there was no second that I wanted to waste. If I was alive, if I was awake, if I was breathing, I wanted to be in the Word of God. The only thing that I could, I I, I felt like I was fasting from the Word of God to go to work, right? And to do the job. And so even then, I had my Bible at the nurse's station. And whenever I had a moment to sit, I was in front of God's Word. I spent every, at stoplights, I was opening up God's Word. I couldn't stop. I like to say that lasted right up till today, but it hasn't like with all intensities and all things they fade now i find myself longing for those days again and i look for opportunities to dive deeper and to have that hunger and thirst that i had in the beginning and some weeks i successfully did there some i don't but this is where it's about that regular rhythm if you incorporate a regular rhythm in our life of prayer of meditation of fasting of of rest of all the different things that are part of our walk with Christ, it will put us in that place where we have the opportunity to receive what God has for us in a more effective way. So if you're there today and you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, you've never accepted, you've never bowed your head before him, you've never said, not my will but yours, Lord. You've never said, I know I'm a sinner, I know I can't get to heaven on my own, but I know I don't want to go to hell. And I know I want to live for you. I want to be a Messiah man or woman. I want to be somebody that follows you, that has peace in my soul in the tumultuous tumultuous times of life. I want to be the kind of person that people look to and say, you have something different and I don't know what it is, but I need it. If you are thinking to yourself, I need what other people that claim to be Christians have, you can get that this morning in a few moments. My brother Bill in the back, you know, I, I love brother Bill. He's probably one of the most amazing men that I know. And he, has a, and he always gets mad at me when I, when, I, when I try to exalt him a little bit. But, you know, I tell you, you take 10 minutes and talk to that guy, it'll blow your mind. Um, the depth of wisdom and knowledge that's contained in that, in that happy-go-lucky feature back there. It's hard to imagine that he was a trained stone-cold killer in the military. But, I mean, he was, he's, he was, he's a man's man. And there's very little he hasn't done. There is very little he can't do. And the one thing I know he does well is he tells people about Jesus. And all his other pedigrees fall off the shelf. And the only one that really matters is how much he loves the Lord and how willing he is to share Him with him, about him, to anyone that wants to know him. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, and you want to talk to somebody that will share from the depth of his experience, wisdom, and heart, the love of Jesus Christ, you talk to Bill Molesky. If you want a lesser conversation, you can talk to me or talk to Tom, talk to Mike. There's some other people here that won't give it. As, it nearly is eloquent, but we give it with the same amount of passion because we love Jesus with all heart and soul. So I encourage you not to leave here today without getting your heart right. But for the rest of us that are sitting here and you're asking, what am I going to get out of this message? You know, and I want you to understand this. It's not the preacher's responsibility to tell you what you should get out of the message, honestly. If you don't, if you're listening to a message and you're not getting anything, that's not the preacher's fault. That's your fault. Okay, Because the word of God is presented. Every time it's open, it doesn't come back void. The question is, is your heart too hard that you're not able to receive it? Right. So you need to ask yourself, if you're looking at this, what do you want to get out of this? It's pretty evident. Put down the spoon and fork. Pick up the Bible. Spend some time with him. Period. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. I know this is a, it's a hard subject. None of us like the concept of going without and food tends to be a really hard thing to give up. Father, I ask that you'll prick each one of our hearts. Those of us that love you and are called according to your purpose, Father, I ask that you'll give us a desire to follow you in this spiritual discipline, Lord, whether it's with food or television or whatever we're called to fast. Father, I ask that you will make, that, make your will known to us, that we might be able to follow you in this beautiful discipline as we seek to, to give up a part of ourselves to prepare for the feast that you have Already prepared for us. Father, we ask that you will give us the strength and the courage to follow you, not just this way, but in all the different habits and disciplines as we set up a pattern in our life to follow you. Father, I ask that if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, I cannot plead this enough with you, Father. You are the creator of all things. And we know, Father, you've said through the word of your Son as he walked this earth that no man comes to the Father except by your Son, Jesus. We also know, Father, that no man will come to him unless you draw them in, and we know that, Father. We ask now that you'll cast out your lines, that you'll draw in those that need to hear your word for the first time and accept you as their Savior. Father, I ask that you will draw them, whoever they are, Father. Don't let them leave here today without getting their heart right. For the rest of us, Father, move us, strengthen us, encourage us, help us to seek you and to know you and to be your servant this week. And Father, I encourage everybody here, Father, through your word, to attempt more of the spiritual disciplines that we might truly be able to put ourselves in a place to be your servant in this place, in this town, in this community. Father, we ask all these things now in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.